And right now, let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. We have a lot of verses to cover this morning, but we're not going to read them all. But we're starting in Nehemiah 6, verse 15. The topic, Nehemiah facilitates worship in the temple by appointing gatekeepers, Levites, and singers. The title of our message, Doing That Sing You Do. You want to sing it with me or no? Nah. Doing that sing you do. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> My brother actually was a pop star. I'll tell you that story one time. Tony Penn. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our morning thus far. What a, a joy to sing together. We're going to talk a lot about singing today, and so how appropriate is that? I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts between the soul and the spirit where only you can communicate. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's not a Christian, they're not uh, born again, they've never given their life to you, never received Christ as their savior. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation as your Holy Spirit would free their will to receive Christ and his love and forgiveness. We thank you, we praise you, we do it in Jesus' name and all who agreed said, amen. I took a walk down memory lane for businesses that no longer exist in Kings County, asked my Facebook friends to remember a few of them. Uh, See if your former favorite place is on the list. Orchard Supply Hardware, Papa Murphy's in Lemoore. That was a big one for me. No, I'm just kidding. Gottschalk's, Eisman's, Miller's Jeweler, Food King, love that place. Sears, no problem there. (laughs) Kmart, twice, right? Unique Boutique, Robert's Jewelers, and of course, Mervyn's. There have been more than a few restaurant closures, the Purple Potato, Pedens, what's up with that? That was the greatest place in the world. Poor Richard's Pizza, Deb's Main Street Deli, the Old Hanford Cantina, Rubicalva's, and Macanos. And then I'd have to put Wired Angels on that list, not technically a restaurant, but a great hangout. The restaurant that a lot of you seem to miss the most, surprisingly, Del Taco. Maybe that's why the other restaurants don't make it in Hanford. (laughs) Give me Del Taco. Now, the restaurant business is hard. A bunch of chains have announced closures that are coming in 2019. Burgers didn't help IHOP. They're closing 30 to 40 stores. Papa John's is closing 85 stores. Chipotle is closing 65 stores. Cheesecake Factory is closing 10 stores. Applebee's, thankfully, is closing 189 stores. (laughs) We can only hope the one here gets closed. Do you know who the largest fast food chain in the world is? It's Subway. I was surprised. Not McArches. And they will be closing 500 of their 44,000 locations. With church attendance in America at an historic low, church closures are high. Likely this number is inflated But just about every search for church closures says between 6,000 and 10,000 annually. If that's true, it means over 100 churches are having their last gathering this morning. Coming together, gathering as believers for worship, that's something we can talk about from the seventh chapter of Nehemiah. With the wall now finished, Nehemiah appointed the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites to serve the temple. They would facilitate worship as the people gathered before the house of the Lord. 
Since we are the house of the Lord on the earth, we are his temple, we want to facilitate worship when we gather. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, when we come together, non-believers are to wonder. And number two, when we come together, believers are to worship. Let's take a look at the sense of wonder that we are to uh, provide at the end of chapter six, beginning in verse 15. Can anyone really know the true number of churches that are closing? How many are being planted while those are closing? The church has two expressions. There's the larger invisible church consisting of all born-again believers throughout the church age. And there's the local visible church, believers who gather together as a congregation to worship the Lord as we are doing this morning. While visible churches may close, the invisible church cannot fail. As imperfect as we are, we are the Lord's beloved and we will one day be presented by Jesus without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. As we seek to draw application from this text, it's important that we not confuse Israel with the church, and every now and then we need to remind ourselves about this. First of all, our theology tells us to keep Israel and the church separate. We are what is called dispensationalists. Dispensationalism is an approach to biblical interpretation which recognizes that God uses different means of working with people during the different periods of history. Everyone is, to some extent, dispensational. Answer this, does a Christian in the church age bring a sheep to sacrifice? No. So there are at least two dispensations, law and grace. And so you might encounter in your reading people saying, oh, dispensationalism is not scriptural, Uh, there's no such thing. Uh, But Christians, we don't worship the way they did in the Old Testament because God is working with us differently, and that's all dispensationalism recognizes. And then scholars argue about how many dispensations there are, depending on how you interpret it, but we're in that camp. Salvation is always the same in every dispensation. It is always by grace through faith, not of works. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's the same for you and I and for anyone who's come to the Lord forever throughout history. Now, as obvious as all that is, we have something more that tells us not to confuse Israel with the church. The Apostle Paul presents the church as a mystery in his letter to the Ephesians. And as you know, a mystery in the New Testament is something that had at one time been hidden, but is now revealed to God's people. If the church was hidden, if it was a mystery revealed for the first time in the first century, then it did not exist on the earth before that time. And so the church is not Israel, Israel is not the church. You might think, Gene, that's obvious. But sooner or later, you're going to be in a church service, you're going to hear some teaching, and you're going to be confused if you don't realize this, because they'll start talking about Israel as if it was the church in the Old Testament. Uh, And uh, it's a confusion that will take you off track in terms of prophecy and other things. Now, having said all that, we can still look at the gathering of Israel as a congregation at their temple and make certain comparisons to our gathering together as God's temple. One such comparison is to notice that non-believers looked upon the Jews and wondered at their God. So verse 15 of chapter 6, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Too bad this crew couldn't work on the high-speed rail, (laughs) right? The Nehemiah crew, I put in my bid, we'll have this thing done in 52 days instead of 52 years. I think you can ride it 10 feet in uh, 
Fresno. But anyway, they've got a section of it up there. Government, what are they doing? What many thought could not be accomplished at all was fulfilled in astonishing time. There are many things in life that folks think cannot be accomplished. Saving a marriage, overcoming an addiction are maybe the two that would be the top on any list. Many of you who got saved later in life could testify right now how in an astonishing fashion God saved your marriage, how he overcame your addiction. In light speed, with amazing quickness, your life turned around. You became a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away. All things became new. It caused folks to wonder at what was going on in your life. Verse 16, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Enemies and frenemies all around Jerusalem were greatly affected by what God had done. Not what Nehemiah had done, what God had done. One reason they may have been disheartened is that they understood that neither they nor their gods had any real power to do a work like that. It was so obvious that it was the living God who was at work, the God of Israel. There needs to be in our lives a testimony that though that some things only God can do in us and through us. If I have no more victory in my life than my non-believing family and friends, where is the wonder of his power and grace? And I'm not telling you what it needs to be, but if the Holy Spirit indwells you, and he does if you're a Christian, you're going to stand apart from your family and friends that are not Christians. Uh, Otherwise, there's something that you need to reconnect with, uh, because if you have no more victory than them, if you react the same way as they react to uh, life, uh, then they're not going to wonder at the power of your God. Verse 17, and in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son, Jehoianan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me, and they reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. God had given Nehemiah a great victory, this rebuilding of the wall, but his enemies were already previously plotting from a different, less obvious, but more sinister angle. Nehemiah's enemy, Tobiah, had married into the nation of Israel. No matter how great Jesus' victory over them, our spiritual enemies will never relent. Not this side of heaven. And there's always a plan B, all the way to plan Z uh, and starting over. And so, you know, it's been my experience over the years, sadly, just when you figure out what you think the devil is doing or what the enemy is doing, something else has been in place for weeks or months or years or decades that gets sprung on you. Something you're completely unaware of. It's, it's, you know what a sucker punch is? It's the only successful punch I've ever had. But uh, anyway, in a fight. You want to fight me, it's going to be a sucker punch and then I run. But uh, anyway, uh, your enemies, you, you, can't, you can't even, you know, you read the Bible and you see some of the strategies of the devil. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, who went home to be with the Lord, great Bible commentator, anything he wrote, you should read. Uh, his B-series and commentary is fantastic. He wrote a book, uh, classic, Strategy of Satan. 
And, and certainly there are some typical strategies of Satan. We talk about them. But then there are the atypical strategies designed specifically for you. And, and they come and they get sprung on you when you least expect it and you never see them coming. And they're, they're so convoluted you can't even explain them to people. Uh, but it's the enemy trying to destroy your life. Non-believers can and they should be struck with wonder at what Jesus does and what he can do. They should wonder about each of us. They should also wonder at our meetings. The second temple with its holy of holies represented the presence of God on the earth. Our meetings as the temple on earth should represent the person and work of Jesus. They will, if we simply keep in mind every time we are gathered, that he is wonderful and we point away from ourselves and straight to him. Now when we come together, believers are to worship. We're going to look at this in chapter 7. When you try to discover what worship is, you're mostly told by what worship is not. Always on the list of things worship is not is, quote, just singing. Eventually, the author or speaker gets to his point, which is some variation of worship is a lifestyle. And so you always hear that worship is it's not just singing, it's a lifestyle. While that is true, worship is more than just singing, those who make worship a lifestyle do an awful lot of singing, especially in the Bible. Now, repetition doesn't always mean something, but it can be interesting. In my New King James Version, the word singers is used 38 times in the Old Testament. Almost half of them, 16 of them, are found in Nehemiah, four times in this chapter alone. Nehemiah's contemporary, Ezra, used the word another six times. And so this was a a focused time when singers and singing was really highlighted. Israel sang, and they sang together as worshipers. So what about us? Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul when he said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Paul's words, and they're a command really, establish two important things. One, we're to sing, and not just as a melody in our hearts. I've heard people say, well, I have a melody in my heart. But you can't sing silently in your heart and be speaking to one another in songs of various genres. Is that a song I detect in your heart? No, so this is about real singing, not just being happy. And second, we must gather together in order to obey this command. Singing in the shower is great, but we must sing together as a congregation. I suppose we could sing to each other all the time and make our lives a musical. Today, someone probably asked you how you were doing or some such thing. If you're abounding, you could break out into, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Then you say, down in my heart, down in my heart. You see, we could do that. And then I'd be, we'd be singing to one another in, in children's songs. Maybe you're feeling abased and they ask you how you were doing. You say, well, yet will I praise him even in the night, even in the midst of the storm. I will rejoice. You know, that kind of an Eeyore praise that we do. You know? But those are options. If you want to fulfill that scripture, you can do it in church when we sing together or a Bible study, or you can just start singing to each other with these you know, preloaded messages that you have. So, uh, and uh, sometimes I think that wouldn't be so bad. All this talk about worship being more than singing, about it being a lifestyle, 
It can tend to lead us to conclude that gathering together as a congregation for worship isn't as important. It doesn't, I don't think they mean to do that, these authors. But if I think, well, worship isn't just singing, and most of the people don't sing anyway, and if worship is my entire lifestyle, then I don't really need to go to a place where they're just singing, and that's just not true. And so verse one, then it was when the wall was built that I hung the doors when, he, uh, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Now these are temple gatekeepers, not the wall gatekeepers. Nehemiah's first priority after securing the city was to have the temple open and ready, staffed with the necessary personnel so that a worshiper could experience the presence of God. The obvious application for us as a congregation is to do the same. We need to be staffed and ready to minister before the Lord in ways that lead his people into worship. And so uh, all of us really are ministering one to another, but especially if you have a, uh, what we might call a position on Sunday morning, let's say, uh, a ministry, whatever else you do, uh, you're to be available to just minister to people and to represent Christ to them. Yes, you can and you should worship Jesus anywhere. I suppose you can do it Sunday morning on the golf course. Listen, however, to what the Lord said in the Revelation. The Apostle John turned to see Jesus, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. He had in his right hand seven stars. That's kind of a weird vision. What could that mean? Well, as is common in the Revelation, we're told exactly what it means just a few verses later. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. And so here we learn that Jesus somehow walks in the midst of church. And I know he means the gathering of a local church because he goes on to dictate letters to seven specific geographical local churches. It says, I walk in the midst of the church when it's gathered. And so Ephesus, listen to this letter. Smyrna, listen to this letter and know that I am in your midst. Jesus did not say he walks in the midst of the 18 T's. I could use that laugh track right about now, Josh. <laughs> hey, we've talked about it, don't, don't, uh, but I, I need the button up here. That's the problem. The omnipresent God we worship really does manifest himself in a unique way when we gather. And so obviously we believe God is omnipresent. You can worship him anywhere at any time. But he's the one that tells us there's something special about Christians gathering together. It's up to each of us to determine our attendance and our membership. Uh, that's something that's between you and the Lord. And you're safe today because you're actually here. Uh, so you can't have this as a rebuke. By the way, while we're making corrections this morning... You might think of the famous verse for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Who hasn't used that, myself included, to talk about just Christians getting together and realizing that Jesus was with them? The reality is Matthew 18, that verse is about church discipline. And what the verse is saying is that when people get together to decide issues of church discipline, then I am there to lead and guide and direct that discussion. Just a correction. You might want to quit saying that uh, out of context. And so there's, I think it's the most famous verse of the New Testament that's taken out of context uh, that, that doesn't mean what it says. So anyway, just 
a little bit of, that was an extra, no extra charge for that. Just one of those Bible nuggets right there. Verse 2, and I know what you're thinking, 73 verses in this chapter, we're on verse 2. Hang in there. That I have the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Faithful, fearful, two great qualities that any of us can cultivate with the empowering of the indwelling Spirit of God, both are choices we can make to walk in the Spirit rather than in our flesh. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors, and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. With enemies at the gates, Nehemiah restricted the hours they would be opened. Who or what is attacking you? You need to develop a strategy, a spiritual strategy. It might mean restricting something in your life or avoiding it entirely. You might have to do things differently. Uh, you know, normally the gates would be open from sunup till sundown, but that wasn't really a choice when you had these enemies at the gates. And so whatever's happening in your life, come up with a strategy. You and the Lord get together, maybe pray about it with some other believers and figure out what your strategy is going to be. Now, the city was large and spacious. The people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. On the very heels of the wall being completed, Nehemiah turned his attention to a new project, a housing development to repopulate Jerusalem. His work was not done. Our work is not done until the last believer of the church age is saved and the church is resurrected and raptured. It's wrong for the righteous to rest or retire from reaching wretches who require redeeming. Man, you're getting it all this morning, I'll tell you. It's to make up for the lack of hamburgers. But uh, <laughs> then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. Now, the particular plan for getting people to move inside the city walls was something God put in Nehemiah's heart. How did he do that? Well, we don't know. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, while some men in the church at Antioch were praying, we read this, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Yes, they then confirmed it by waiting in prayer and fasting, but you cannot escape the truth that God still speaks to us in the church age. He still puts things in our hearts somehow. It will never contradict his written word, but he speaks, and so it's up to us to learn to listen. Whether or not there was a word of prophecy that was given during this prayer meeting, or uh, I'm guessing it wasn't an audible voice, but maybe it was just an impression on the heart of one of the individuals, we don't know. But we need to understand that God still wants to speak to us in a very intimate, personal way. Verse 6, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. Now, I was feeling bad because I decided to skip reading the list of names in verses 7 through 65. And then I read in verses 66 and 67, altogether the whole assembly was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 245 men and women singers. And so there are a total of 42,360 people 
There aren't 42,362 names recorded in these verses, and so I realized even Nehemiah didn't want to read all the names. <laughs> Me and Nehemiah are on the same page, as it were. So, verse 68. Now you're feeling better. I know. I, I sit out there sometimes, too, and I... Yeah. Just remember, your average pastor is going 55, 60 minutes, an hour and 10 minutes. Be thankful. Verse 68, their horses were 736, their mules 245, camels 435, and donkeys 6,720. Earlier, on the night he first inspected the ruins, Nehemiah had ridden an animal. It was probably a donkey. He was a rider. Maybe that's why he mentioned these animals, but not sheep and oxen and goats. I mean, it seems strange to me that he would just count these animals and not the many, many multitudes of other animals that they had. We each have our own perspective on things, things we notice or are concerned about more than others. Meeting together or being part of something bigger gives us a bigger spiritual picture. And so you come here with some burden on your heart, perhaps, that, that you think, hey, why aren't we doing this or why can't we do that? But when we come together, then we all share these things and we work together, as it were, and we figure out what we want to do. How many millions of missionaries are there that we could sponsor? And we need to narrow it down so we do a good work. Uh, that's the kind of thing. And so uh, it's great to, be a cert- to, to, to have a certain focus in your Christian walk. In fact, God gives you that. But don't think that someone else's focus is wrong because of it or that they're less spiritual or more spiritual than you. We each have our own kind of emphasis and we bring together to the body of Christ something full and complete. Then verse 70, some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas, 50 basins, and 530 priestly garments. Some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,200 silver minas. And that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,000 silver minas, and 67 priestly garments. I was going to say in a partridge in a pear tree, but it's not Christmas time, so. And it wouldn't have been funny then anyway, but anyway... The, Ministry of the, it's, it's amazing what you think is funny that nobody else thinks is funny. Ever notice that? I'm never going to laugh at your jokes again, so anyway. <laughs> Give it your best shot. The ministry of the temple was supported by generous free will offerings. The heads gave, but so did the rest of the people. Some gave more, all gave some. I won't go into a teaching on your giving to the ministry of the local church, except to say it is obvious that all of us should give to the work the generous amount you give is between you and the Lord to determine. You and he have the tithe talk. Go off to the side and talk to the Lord about your giving, what you are giving, what you ought to give. He'll let you know. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, and the singers, some of the people, the Nethanim, and all Israel dwelt in their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now, in its original manuscripts, the Bible did not have chapters and verses, Verse 73 makes more sense to most scholars as the first verse of chapter 8. Chapter 7 here has described getting ready to gather for worship services, and as we'll see in chapter 8, Lord willing, that records a gathering of believers. It goes on to record the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles 
If you research it, you'll find there was a great deal of singing during that feast. There's a lot of singing in heaven. Have you been reading the Revelation as we suggested for Easter? Because it's the book that, one book in the Bible that promises you a blessing for reading it. And so why don't we do that? That's why we've been playing it for you on Sunday mornings. Who doesn't want to be blessed? Raise your hand. Maybe you misunderstood the question. But anyway, <laughs> we all do. Uh, one researcher counts at least 27 songs in that last book of the Bible. You might think, what do they have to sing about during the seven-year Great Tribulation? But apparently quite a bit when their focus is not on the earth but on the heavenlies. So no pressure on you to sing. I'm just telling you what the Word teaches this morning. Uh, how much you sing, whether you sing, all of that's between, again, you and the Lord. We like to say around here that we're not the Holy Spirit. We just say what we think the Word is saying, uh, and then you should struggle with it. All of us should struggle with it uh, because the Lord loves our singing. And I will end with this. Someone else sings a lot when we gather. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, that was written to Israel, and the church is not Israel. However, if God sang over his people under the dispensation of law, how much more can we expect him to sing over us in this church age of grace? So think of the Lord when we come together. He's in our midst. He's mighty. He will save. And, of course, that means if you're not a believer... He has the power to save you, to forgive your sins, and to give you eternal life. But we talk about salvation in three senses as believers. You get saved, you're being saved in the sense of changing from moment to moment into the image of Christ, and one day we will be fully glorified. And so the Lord is here doing that work. And it says, he rejoices over you with gladness. If I'm honest, and I look at my heart, I don't see anything anybody would be glad about. But the Lord promises me that he rejoices over me with gladness, quiets me with his love. Whatever I fear, whatever I'm going through, his love can quiet me and calm me down. And then he says he rejoices over me with singing. That's what's happening when we gather together and when we sing to the Lord. If you're not a believer, you should be hearing the Holy Spirit as he witnessed to your heart that your sins can be forgiven on account of Jesus dying on the cross in your stead and rising from the dead. Let's pray together.